this week we get to meet the recipients. Who is this letter written to? It's important we understand this. Who is this letter written to? Maybe more important in our day than in many days before us that we understand the context of the letter and those it is written to. Here is why. We, we live in a soundbite culture, and so um, I could tell you, I don't know if the cameras are working, but I, I confess that I beat my wife. I beat my wife. Beaten her in the past, probably beat her in the future. I beat her when we play cribbage, often. I beat her on occasion when we play gin, but not very often. But if you take that context out of there, right? You're like, this pastor beats his wife. We just heard it. There's the clip. He's done. Cancel. Right? The importance of context. The importance of context for us as we start Romans is, of course, we've, we've met the apostle. We looked at his story. We know what the Lord has done to equip him, to prepare him for this. We have, we have seen that the apostle who was set aside, he says, set aside for the gospel of God. I was separated from Judaism. I was separated from a false religion to the gospel of God. And I am writing a letter to you. And so those who take portions of Romans, like, just remember, all things work together for good. Do you think the Israelites, when they were destroying the tribe of Midian, do you think they were like, don't worry, Midianites, all things work together for good? How about on the other side of the Red Sea while the Egyptians were drowning? Hey, guys, don't worry about it. All things work together for good. And do you know you can do all things, by the way? Yeah. No. Right? I mean, context is important. Now, those are extreme examples. But I think in our culture, it's super, super important that we get who this letter is written to. Now, if you're not a believer in Christ, there is still messages for you here. But you are reading a letter written to a specific group of people. You are reading a letter to people that share these commonalities. And so all that will follow, be it correction or rebuke, be it new things you're supposed to be taught, uh, Paul in this letter will equip them to live in the city that we're going to talk about in a few moments. But, but it, is, it is to a people. Uh, and so it's important that we grasp that. Uh, so I titled this message, Jedediah and Theophilus. I wonder if any of you figured out why I used that title. Jedediah is the Hebrew uh, uh, for, it's the Hebrew name that means loved by God. Theophilus is the Greek name that means beloved of God or loved by God. And so as we go through this letter, you're going to want to know that the apostle is writing to a certain group of people that are loved by God. And, and hopefully when we're through with this this morning, uh, that term won't be flippantly used anymore by us. What does it mean uh, as my identity, my security, my worth? What does it mean to be a, a person who has been designated, loved by God? Romans 1, 7 to 13. Please stand if you are able for the reading of God's word. 
to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. The gospel of God that he has mentioned earlier, that he now refers to as the gospel of Jesus Christ or the gospel of his son, promotes and depends upon a community of mutual beneficence the community of saints, this community of God's people, this church in Rome. It is produced, it should be produced, and in our church it should be produced, it should reflect this gospel of God. It should be a community like none other. Um, this week I had a chance to read mostly through uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's that we quoted up here, his life together. And if you know the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know that community to him was costly and precious. If you read his book, it, it, it's really maybe the, the best on Christian community. Um, you, are, you get a bit overwhelmed about how much time they spent together and, and what they did when they spent time together. But it was morning and evening, and oftentimes around lunchtime there would be prayers and songs. Um, but for him facing uh, death, persecution, Nazis, and a, and a twisting of the gospel, um, community was life-giving. It was an essential part. And our gospel should produce it. Our, our gospel should produce it in such a way that we expect things. But those of you who go through new member class will know that one of, my, one of the things I like to do in our new member class is lower your expectations of the people sitting in the pew next to you, of those who attend with us. Uh, the Christian community, for some of us, is this idealistic goal where everybody is nice and loves one another and, and everyone who's done business with you thinks you're the best person in the world to do business with. And we slowly, slowly wake up to, uh, it is a group of broken, fallen, sinful, selfish people who have been rescued and loved by God. And it changes, and it makes it so much better when we kill kind of the idol of what it should look like and live in the reality that I'm going to love people who forget my birthday, who forget what I told them about my ailing mother. I'm going to love those people because they need love. No, I'm going to love those people because God loves me. 
And I've experienced something from him that is so profound that he now gives me an opportunity to show how much I've learned from him in loving one another. The gospel of God creates, promotes, and depends upon a community of mutual beneficence. Beneficence is an act of charity, mercy, kindness. There's this uh, friend of mine that would say, uh, a Christian should exude what he called beneficial certainty. A Christian should exude, even to the world for the most part, a Christian should exude that to know this person will actually be good for me. To, to go a little deeper with this person is somehow going to be good for me. And as the apostle will say later, that's exactly what he holds out. I am going to benefit from being with you, and you should expect to benefit from being with me. So let's look at this community in reference to the context of the rest of the letter. So verse 7, we get kind of this community in Rome. Uh, three things he points out about this community. It's location, it's relation, and it's vocation. It's location is Rome. Uh, Rome, most of us know something about Rome. Uh, Bishop Stephen Neal writes, she was the eternal city which had given them peace. They call that the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. If you look at world history and you think the gospel came at the exact right time for it to spread, it wasn't a mistake, it was God's action. Rome bought peace, it was the fount of law, it was the center of civilization, the mecca of poets and orators and artists, while being at the same time a home of every kind of idolatrous worship. We share in the same temptations as those Christians in Rome. We share in the same, in the, in the, in the same uh, struggle, temptations as the Christians in Corinth. Um, there is a war against God's people in any city that you might live in. Um, let me put it this way. When I was a youth pastor, right around uh, the fall, right around this time, I would get every, uh, every kid's sports schedule. And then I'd get a note from the moms or the dad that says, hey, uh, our kids' involvement in youth ministry has been fundamental and foundational in, in, in their growth, and it's really important to us. Can you make sure and schedule the fall retreat and the spring retreat on a weekend where they don't have sports? Every once in a while, I would, say, <laughs> I would say, here's our church calendar. Will you give it to their coach? <laughs> Will you give this church calendar to their coach? Will you uh, give this to the school administrator uh, so they can know when we plan to meet for the worship of Almighty God? Now, I, I know maybe it's a bit far-fetched, but I would, get, I would get looked at as if, where do you come from? Have you not lived in America? Do you not understand what goes on? But there was that sense that, that I, just, I just would push back just, just a bit and say, how will you as a parent, how will you in a culture that says this is the most important thing, how will you as a parent push against it and say it is important? You make a commitment to a team, you know, and, and they need you and you let other people down and there's so much stuff you will learn. And, and it does require that, you're, that you commit to a schedule. But son, daughter, you must know that the worship of Almighty God supersedes all of these things. And the greatest thing I can do for you as a parent is not teach you how to throw or catch. 
It is to teach you about our God. Um, every culture will push against it. So in Rome, they had all of these things in spades for every one of them. That's where these people live. Secondly, and maybe most importantly, what I want to emphasize is this second part is the relation to God. They lived in Rome, but they were loved by God. They were called to be his saints. In verse 7, grace to them, peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These people share this relationship with God Almighty that we cannot make too much of. To be loved by God. That's who they are. I'm writing to you. I don't know you. I haven't met you. I didn't plant your church. We've not done video conferences. I don't know you, but I've heard that you're beloved by God. I've heard of your faith. It's gone across the world. I know the things that have happened. You are loved by God. There's no way you could stand in Rome and proclaim Christ. There's no way you could stand the temptation and the martyrdom unless God overwhelmed you with his love. You are beloved by Christ. We can't use that term flippantly. We can't tell the whole rest of the world, hey, humanity, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. We can't do it. It's out of context, and it's harmful for the gospel, and it's harmful for people. Wow, I thought God loved me. Why is everything going bad? You've heard this, like, everything happens for a reason. There's times I wanted to say, yeah, and the reason that happened is because you're an idiot. The reason that happened is you've turned your back on God. You've, you've, you've turned a blind eye to his word and an ear, and your heart's hard. That's the reason that's happened. It's time for you to turn back to the king. Uh, Psalm 50 this week. I was reading it. But to the wicked. All right, so verse 16. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite my statutes? Or take my covenant on your lips. For you hate discipline. You cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you're pleased with him. And you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free reign for evil. And your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your mother's son. These things you've done. And I have been silent. You thought I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you. And I lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. Joel Osteen says 99.9% .9 of the people in the world are good people. Scripture says 100% of the human beings born are at war with God until he rescues their soul. They're enemies of God. Their hearts are set on evil continually until the Spirit breaks through their stubborn, cold hearts and the grace of God reigns upon them. Do not, do not, as Christian people, give the promises that God has made to his covenant people flippantly to the world without qualification. We, we, we know the importance on upon a child that a loving parent exists. I told you all last week, this week my grandson gets to be. It's his first service. And um, this morning I'm, I'm working on my lesson, going over things, and Jordan comes in and he proceeds to change his filthy diaper in my presence. 
wraps him up and gives him a bottle. He's holding that grandson, feeding him a bottle. And I tell Jordan, I said, I, I think, son, I've only screamed at a person once in my life. And son, it was you. You're the only person that I really know that I've ever screamed at. And he's like, I don't remember, Dad. I said, I'm so glad you don't remember. <laughs> it's haunted me. Um, but I look at you holding that child, and I remember that feeling. I remember holding you and thinking, oh, no. I feel like I'm 12, and I've been given this thing. And how am I, how, oh, Lord, how? How am I going to protect him from me? Christian, God says, I love you before you were created. And he says it this way, I chose you. He says here, called to be saints. Chosen. Do you know that chosen makes our relationship with God monumentally deeper and more special? We, he, he didn't look down history and say, that Kuiper's going to be, you know, maybe he'll be better than 50% of the other men created in his generation, so I'm going to choose him to be mine. He didn't have a, a, a lineup against the wall and, and think, well, yeah, I need that one, I need that one. Um, boy, I, if I save this one, <laughs> people are going to be like, what? How? No, before, before creation. Said, I, I chose you, I called you, I elected you, I predestined you in love. How wonderful. When the psalmist in 50 says, you thought I was like you. We do that all the time. We think he's like us. And so therefore, his love is fickle like our love is fickle. His love depends upon me responding as our love depends on, on, on us responding with each other. No, before you were created, I loved you. It's not a love they've earned. It's a love they've received. This love has changed who they are. It's changed their identity. They are beloved of God. Thirdly, they have a vocation. They have a shared vocation as the people of God. Their vocation, he says, is called to be saints. So that word called, again, it's the same as the apostle uses for himself. I was called. Um, after our new membership class, Scotty's going to do a, a class on the Ordo Salutis. And part of the Ordo Salutis, the order of salvation, the, the way a soul goes from an enemy of God to an adopted glorified child of God. And we call that the ordo salutis, the way that it works out. Um, called is what we, we refer to as an effectual calling. It's not, hey kids, come now, you're going to be late for dinner. It's calling things as, as God did at creation into existence. He said it and it was so. And so he says, you, you've not just been saved, you've not been just rescued, you've been loved, but you've also, there's a purpose behind it. You are called to be saints. You are called to be holy ones, set apart for me, loved by God and called to be a saint. It is um, these beloved and chosen that he is writing to. My scariest moment in high school, we had a, we had a guy we just called Taekwondo. Okay, Uriah, sorry for picking on you, but you know, Uriah could be a pretty scary feller. Right, uh, big, bulky, uh, you know, muscles in the right place. Taekwondo was like that, tall guy. 
And uh, we called him Taekwondo because every t-shirt he had said something about Taekwondo. He had, he had veins that I could have passed through, you know, in his muscular arms. And I was this skinny basketball player. The thickest part of my leg was my knee. Um, and uh, I would get a ride from a buddy to school. And Taekwondo, uh, I still don't know what his name was. We just called him Taekwondo. Um, he had a t-shirt that he would wear that just said, Taekwondo fighters eat their dead. Get a picture of this guy. So Mark, 10th grade, uh, barely gone through puberty. Uh, a friend of mine is driving me into the parking lot, and we played this game because we lived on the top of the hill. And we played this game, how far can you go with the engine turned off on your Volkswagen Beetle? So he'd shut the engine off, and we would coast. I mean, you could go all the way down. And, and this week, we'd made it. We came flying into the parking lot, came around a corner, and almost hit Taekwondo's girlfriend. Taekwondo moved his girlfriend out. And I looked at my friend Mike. I'm like, we're dead. <laughs> He's going to eat us. <laughs> and, and so we kept going around the parking lot. Taekwondo kept following. Kept going around the parking lot. Taekwondo kept falling. I'm like, we're going we're gonna to have to park at some time. This guy's seen us. He knows who we are. All right? And so we get out of the car. He goes, you guys almost killed my girlfriend. I'm like, I've never been more sorry about anything in my entire life. Please, please forgive me and don't kill me. Right? We knew enough about this man to know his girlfriend was loved by him. And for us to do something to his beloved is terrifying. Do you know that our father has a relationship with his children that even exceeds that? I love you with an eternal love, an everlasting love that will never fade, change, or perish. You are my beloved. I am your God and you will be my people. It's not just in Jeremiah. It's all throughout the Old Testament. God reminds us time and time again, I have a purpose for my people and that purpose is for me to be their God and they to be my people. He doesn't just call us and change our status. He changes who we are from the inside out. Brothers and sisters, this is the identity of those this letter is written to. This is the identity of all the Christians that went before this is the identity of those of us who entrust our lives to him. We are beloved and chosen by him. This identity outshines being Roman or Greek or white or reformed. We are beloved by God. Now I'll rush to these next two. As a result of this, as a result of their status, these people that he's writing to, the apostle then shares his feelings. It's wonderful. He shares his feelings. Uh, three things I want to say. First is gratitude. So he writes, first, foremost, the, 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 the first thing I think about when I hear about the Christians in Rome is I thank God for you. Isn't that a wonderful thing to hear? You know, as we uh, work relationships with each other, uh, I love you for this, or you're great at this, or you're wonderful at this. Really, as a Christian person, there probably couldn't be any greater thing to hear than in my prayers. I thank God. God the Father for creating you. I thank God the Father that on this planet and these few years we have together, he's crossed our paths together. I thank God for you. It's a, it's a really good way of telling someone 
that you love them. It's a really good way of saying, I, I see what God has done in you. I thank God for you. What we're saying actually in that is who you are speaks to the work of God. And I think I told you this before. We used to give food on occasion, Tammy and I, to these homeless people. And when, when she'd make a lunch for them, we'd put a little note in there. Don't thank us. We're selfish people. <laughs> Don't put your faith in humanity. Uh, if it was up to me, I would keep every bit of food, leftovers, as my way of winning the war against grocery bills. Uh, it, we would not do this. Thank God. He has done something. He's still got a lot more to go. Um, the apostle thinks of these believers. As he writes this letter, as he encourages them, he goes, I, I thank God it's become a habit for me. I thank God for his saving, electing, and sanctifying work. It is so great. It doesn't, it's not because of the parents you had. It's because of the God you serve. And so he, he is thankful for them. He prays for them, prayers of thanksgiving and care. And then he says, I long to visit personally. Uh, I want to read one more thing from Bonhoeffer. He says, the physical presence of Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Longingly, the imprisoned apostle Paul calls his dearly beloved son in the faith, Timothy, to come to him in prison in the last days of his life. He would see him again and have him near. Paul's not forgotten the tears that Timothy shed when they parted. He remembers the congregation in Thessalonica. Paul prays night and day exceedingly that we might see your face. John, the aged apostle, know that his joy will not be full until he sees his own people. Tammy has a video she sends me when I'm sad or discouraged. And um, it's a video of me with a bunch of little kids on a couch. And one of those kids is a wedding I did right before sabbatical was over. And she's like, uh, in the video, she's, she's, she's just panning, and then she goes to the dad, and she goes, say hi to Mark, Greg. Uh, Mark will need to see this sometimes when he's sad. <laughs> it's like, hi, Mark. Um, and it, it works. Um, you know what works better? You. You. Works better. You know? Um, and, and, it, and it shouldn't just be that way for the pastor. We should develop that for one another. But there's houses I can go in and sit down and to see the face of God's beloved restores my soul. It is how we were made. It is. Went to lunch with a family this week, and I and I was like, "Yeah, I'm weirdly happy. Uh, I'm probably goofy, and I'll probably just be weird, but I'm just happy. I am thankful that God created you. I am thankful." He's allowed us in community. The apostle's like, I cannot wait to see you. Physically see you. It's one of the reasons we gather. It's one of the reasons I'm not as much a stickler starting on time as I used to be. <laughs> we need it. It's how we've made us. It's how he's made us. That's the apostle's feeling towards the church and the body. And it really does cause us in a similar situation, similar people. Are we there? Do we find it wrong when we're not there? Maybe the best thing for, for you to do is to start to thank God for the people 
in your community. Grab an old copy of our directory. We'll do a new one after this next new membership class, but, but start thanking God for the people in your circle. Asking God to bless them and their faith and moving towards them. Then, lastly, the apostle shares his purposes in verses 11 to 13. So it's really wonderful. There's no surprise. There's no bait and switch with the apostle. Here's who I am. Here's how I was called. Here's the gospel that I'm going to share with you. I'm so excited about who you are. And here's why I long to see you in verse 11. I long to see you. And I'm just going to say three quick things about it. I long to see you that I may impart to you a spiritual gift to strengthen you. And even that, do you see even that? He clarifies. Even that, why did I have to go all the way to verse 13 for this sermon? Because if we stopped at 11, some might think, okay, he's going to give us the gift of tongues and healing, and he's going to um, give us money. And that's why Paul has gone there. And now he's like, that is, he's explaining it. I'm going to give you a spiritual gift. That is, we may be mutually encouraged by one another's faith, both yours and mine, and we will be strengthened. That's the gift I've got for you. It's not some shallow thing that's going to fade that you could get elsewhere. Uh, I'm giving you this gift of a mutual faith. And we will sit and we will share stories of God's goodness and God's grace. And you will hear what's going on in these other churches. And I will hear what's going on with you. And we will share stories. And so he says three things. I'm here to give you something. I am here to give you this spiritual gift in my presence with you. The truth of the gospel of God that I long to share with you. To drive it deeper. But I'm also there to get something, he says. I'm there because I will benefit from being with you. I will receive from you. I often say at the end of a Sunday, how can a Christian make it without the community of God's people? Because I absolutely have to have it or I die on the vine. Hardest thing about our sabbatical was not being here on a Sunday. Not being here. Videos help, (laughs) but not being here. Not being amongst the people. Um, so I, I, he says, I'm going to get something. This letter, it's to a church, a group of believers. It's to be read. It's to be enjoyed together. Um, it's not going to be posted online, but you're going to share it together. The gospel, oh, church, it's going gonna, it's gonna to create a community. It's going to promote it. It, it, it. it depends upon this community of believers for their mutual beneficence. But thirdly, to harvest together. I expect that us as a church will harvest together. Some of the greatest moments we have shared in the last six years has been the harvest. Hasn't it? It, it, It's been the non-believer in our midst that has surrendered their life to Christ. Some of the greatest tears that were shed in this church was was when someone that had been here for a while made a public profession of faith. Our God loves to do that in the context of his church. Uh, so that the church itself shares in that joy. And the apostle said, I hope that's going to happen. When I get to you and we share our stories, oh, I hope that your world is big enough, your life is big enough, that there are those on the outside that will hear the stories. And we'll see the Lord rescue them. He doesn't want money money or followers. His great joy is to share in the harvest with them. And church, this should be our greatest joy. We get to share the gospel of God, the gospel of his son. 
We get to hear stories. We get to uh, have relationships of people that are entirely different in so many ways. And yet at their core, they have been overwhelmed by the love of God. Will you join the apostle in this? Will you join the Holy Spirit in this work and amongst this body? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this letter, and we can't wait to dive into its depths. But we thank you, Father, that you have made clear to us that the promises of God are for his children. And we can find no greater joy we can find no greater worth than to be beloved by you. And we pray, Father, that, that it would solidify in us and amongst us that as the apostle heard of their faith, that there would be those who would hear of our faith. A body that believes and trusts in what you have promised, not believes and trusts in what we want or we think we deserve, but specifically in what you have promised your people. We pray, Lord, that you make our community of misfits and selfish, broken people something glorious in your sight. We pray that we would long to be with your people. We pray, Lord, that we don't take the job of the accuser of the brethren and find it upon ourselves to point out what is wrong and what's sinful, what is lacking. But rather, Father, take joy in knowing that you are sanctifying your church as it meets in community. And you've invited us as a part of it. And now, Lord, will you set these elements aside? This wonderful gift of a loving father to his needy children. He gives his son for us. Will you set these elements aside, Father, that as we take these by faith, that our souls would be nurtured, that amongst any doubts, losses, and fears, we would cling to this. My Father loves me. He gave his son for me. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.